Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Running Light Better Pleasure Podcast. I'm Bo. I'm Peter. And we are doing a part two of this wonderful article called Seduced by Sissy Hypnosis. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love that title. Oh, yeah. And this is uh, kind of why isn't anyone talking about the influence of porn on the trans trend by uh, it looks like uh, Jeanville Gluck. Um, uh, Genevieve. Genevieve. That's it. Gluck. Um, Genville? What's that? <laughs> Got to get better glasses. But we went through uh, a little bit of this already. Um, and um, it's kind of an interesting article about this certain type of pornography. Right. That's out there called sissy hypnosis yeah. uh, porn. And it in the writers kind of talking about how it is a um, they describe the pornography typically involves men wearing lingerie and engaged in forced feminization, eroticizing the illusion of being made to, quote, become women through dress, makeup and sexual submissiveness and the fetishizing of the humiliation this brings. Though sissy hypno as a term seems to have only gained popularity recently, increasing significantly since 2016, according to Google search data, there are already several websites dedicated to the genre, including sissy, these different websites. Right. But so sissy hypno, um, and what this article is saying is that this type of pornography is um, moving people, I guess, mm. to uh, become uh, women. Yeah. Um, or to believe that they are. To believe that they are. So we're reading through this article a little bit and kind of talking about it. Um, and it is a great topic. We've talked a little bit about that, that it is important to kind of look at what maybe pornography has contributed to the transgender uptick right. in our culture. Uh, and there isn't much talk about that, actually. Um, I did kind of end last um, our last podcast on the idea of Futanari. I correct. Uh, I was corrected by one of our our resident our, anime, our resident anime <laughs> expert at Futanari. Yeah. I said Futari, but it's Futanari, mm -hmm. and uh, this type of pornography that's in anime um, that seems to me much more popular than uh, sissy hypno right. uh, porn. Um, and uh, a lot of people might go like, "Well, Bo, that's that. You know, how many you know, how many young people are really?" you know, into this kind of stuff. And I would say, well, first of all, how many young people are into anime? Right. A lot. Right. I mean, I would say quite a bit, right? And then um, I also would think that um, a group of those people would probably definitely know something about this Futanari. And uh, just from the crossover between anime and hentai, mm. And uh, and there's a and there's all these little genres of anime that are kind of, you know, in between right. of hentai, which is hardcore anime porn right. and anime. So there's this middle ground, too. And this Futanari is something where it's it's women with 
phallics, yeah. you know, with penises. And, but they look very beautiful, you know, the way they're portrayed. Um, and, and it's, it looks almost like it's a, another kind of species of human being, if you will, right. almost like you were watching something like the Hobbit, mm. uh, or Lord of the Rings. And, you know, you had this group of people that were half elf and half <laughs> something else, right? You know, that, that's kind of the vibe you get. Right. And we talked a little bit last week about how, what she's describing, and this is by the way, from the perspective of a feminist, she's not a Christian right. or conservative author. She's simply coming at it from the perspective of how this is affecting women. Yep. And she seems to be very upset about the concept of transgender men, like men who are portraying themselves as women. And she's kind of gone into a really niche part of porn in which it's not really encouraging men to be transgender. It's actually encouraging a particular fetish in which you get aroused by people perceiving you as a feminine. Um, now, what you're talking about, though, uh, Futunari, is I think a little bit more mainstream because it's not portraying a fetish. It's not portraying like this fetish of, um, you know, men being turned on by being women. It's portraying like beings, like actual beings yeah. who are hermaphroditic, but in a perfect sense. So like, That's right. Uh, you know, in, in modern day, you know, I think Kleinfelder syndrome is the one of the terms or intersex. But this this concept of hermaphroditism has been around for like ever. Yeah. And it's people who are born with uh, their primary sex characteristics is a little bit muddy, if you want to put it that way. They're, they don't they're not always entirely clear. And sometimes they can be miscategorized. They could believe that someone is a girl, even though they're actually a boy, because the genitalia is so ill defined when they're born. And so it makes sense that man throughout the ages, right, there have been statues of hermaphrodites. There have been uh, various goddesses and gods that have hermaphroditic uh, qualities to them. It makes sense that humanity throughout the ages have thought about, you know, what would it look like if there was like a perfect meld between male and female? And yeah. what would that be like? And so people have tried to recreate it. But what hentai has done, interestingly, is portrayed it in this kind of it's like a neo-pagan kind of thing mm -hmm. but we're living in this modern age in which people believe that again there's a spectrum when it comes to gender and sex um you know back in the pagan days they saw this as like a mythological thing you know like a chimera you know it's not real but it's like a cool idea to think about you know some yeah. sort of an amalgamation of male and female nowadays people are like no i am that you know that they could actually feel as though they are uh, we hear terms today like non-binary and things like that, where, where people are like, I'm not really a man or a woman. I'm somewhere in between, you know? Yeah. And I think that might be actually more appealing to a young person who doesn't feel entirely confident within their given gender. Yeah. And it's very, you know, I think when you look at Futanari, the difference is, is like if you threw, if you threw up Futanari and then you threw up hypnosiso yeah. Porn, <laughs> to porn. the 14-year-old right. or to the 16-year-old, I guarantee most of those teenagers are going to look at hypno-sissy porn and be like, that's weird. Yeah. And they're going to be like, that's trippy, not into it, nope. 
Not it is a it's a subgenre of the BDSM community. Yeah, it feels so very much like that. Already, you're talking about the BDSM community as being like a fringe. Yeah, where not a lot of people are very into it. Yeah, you know? um, but then you have a fringe of a fringe, and we talked a little bit about that last week. Yeah, you you have the BDSM community, and then you have on the fringes of that community this forced feminization type of pornography yeah. that she's describing. So, like you said, there, there's not going to be a ton of 14-year-olds who are like, yeah, yeah. Like I was watching some sissy hypno last right, night. You know? Right, right. This is not really going to happen. But it does make sense that if you, you know, Futanari is something where it, it does, it, it, it's a, its appeal is it's in, it, in its beauty. Right. And in, it, in its natural beauty, meaning because it's artistic, yeah. um, it's showing um, a, a portrayal of something that's not real, right. but something that's imagined. Right. And, and, you know, that's the neat thing about uh, fictional art, you know, is that it can embellish and show uh, something is uh, ideal right. um, that maybe in reality is not so ideal. Right, that if someone actually underwent surgeries to make themselves look like that yeah it wouldn't look as perfect <laughs> no. as what you're seeing in the no. Nari, yeah uh, for sure you know everything's everything's very embellished and you know you know even i was talking to someone the other week and you know they're they're trying to deal with their child and their child is teenager yeah and they're just like i don't know what gender i am i don't know what to pick because the way that it's being portrayed to them to young kids at this age is kind of you have to pick your gender and you don't know what it is like because your your biology says nothing about what your gender actually is you have to figure out what it is right and so i think a lot of younger people are kind of picking this more ambiguous thing because it's like well what does it mean to feel like a man what does it mean to feel like a woman and they're like i don't really know i don't really feel like a man or a woman maybe i'm somewhere in between and so again yeah. like this futanari thing would be very appealing to them where they're like, oh, it could be to be in between is very beautiful. Like it's very appealing and attractive. And there's, yeah. there's a lot of uh, pull in that direction. And then I don't have to pick man or woman. I could just be somewhere in this this in between space. Yeah. Yeah. And when you have characters, you know, not real people, but just characters. Right. Um, you know, uh, created by our artist, then... Um, you know, it's very impressionable. We know how impressionable that is on young people, right. but even older people. Right. You know, that's very impressionable. You know, that's why kids watch cartoons mm. is because they find them fascinating, yeah. you know. Uh, and that's why we all actually are kind of attracted to the cartoon characters. Yeah. You know, they, you know, someone asked us, I remember once when we were doing a Salvation Army group meeting, like, hey, is it okay if I watch hentai, you know? And like, I won't watch porn, but I'll watch hentai, you know? And <laughs> and and our answer was, nah, that's not, <laughs> that's not a good route to go, right. you know? Um, but, you know, it's, it's common even for adults, I think, to find, you know, something fascinating about the artistic renditions, yeah. um, especially if they don't look... It, you don't see it looking painful. Right. It doesn't look awkward per se, right. you know? Um, and so, you know, it can kind of play on your brain. Uh, and I would imagine young people 
um, because they're trying to find something that is elusive, mm. right? And and that's a, that's a really sad, sad place to be in as a young person, any person. If you're trying to find something that's totally elusive, you'll never find it right. because there is no definition of it. Right. You know, like, you know, how, what, what does it feel like to be a man? Like, what's that answer? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what does it feel like to be a woman? What's that answer? Right. You know, those are elusive. Right. Like, you know, how can you, how can you track that down? Right. Especially if you're going to throw it in this really ambiguous sense of like, you know, gender has no actual anchor point. Yeah. There's no biology involved. So if it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I feel like a man. Well, what does that mean? I like masculine things. Well, what are masculine things? Yeah. Like trucks, sports. Is that masculine? So you're saying that girls can't like those things? They're like, well, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> okay. So what does it mean that you have a masculine brain or a masculine or a feminine brain? Like, it, it's a totally ambiguous thing. And, and like I said, you know, who doesn't feel uncomfortable with their body when mm. they're a teenager? You know, you probably it's I would be willing to bet that it's the vast minority of teenagers who feel confident in their bodies when they're a teenager. You know, right. You're just this awkward for, as, a, as a boy, you know, your, your voice is cracking. You're going through weird shifts and changes in your biology. You're your genitalia is doing funky things that it never did before. <laughs> you know, as a girl, like it's even more crazy what you're going through when you're yeah. that age. And so it's like, who wouldn't be like, ah, I don't really feel very comfortable with my body. Well, maybe it's because I was born in the wrong body. You know, right. like that, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's going to resonate for a lot of people that are struggling with that internal uh, disassociation from their bodies. Uh, but another interesting thing, uh, this kind of made me think about it when you were talking about the appeal of the this artistic expression is um, I remember years ago uh, there was a there was a whole slate of movies it was like a scanner darkly was one of them and then uh, some of the kid movies were doing it as well like a Christmas Carol did it the Polar Express did it uh, they released a new Beowulf movie and they were playing around Hollywood was playing around with taking live actors and they were superimposing animated graphics on them. Did, yeah. you, did you see that? Oh yeah. And they thought it was like gonna be the new thing. And everybody was like, this is weird. <laughs> like it's, I, yeah. I don't like it. Cause there was a thought that the purpose of art is to be as real as possible. Um, and that's why Disney right now, by the way, is doing all these live action remakes. Cause the idea is like, well, the animation isn't real. So we're gonna make it more real. And by making it more real, we're making it better. But people are widely rejecting these things because what we're finding out is like, well, no, the, the purpose of an art form is not to be real in that sense. It's not to capture like realism and the way that you're portraying things. It's actually more about uh, captivating desire, right? What do people want to be true? Not what do people find to be true? And that's what, Tolkien said in his essay on fairy stories where he's like, you know, why am I using the medium of fairy stories as opposed to just telling a, you know, Victorian era story about, you know, good and evil or whatever. And his point is that fairy stories capture something in us that we desire to be true, even though it's not. And when you look at anime and uh, different forms of cartoon animation, 
the things that are being portrayed is everything is you're able to exaggerate everything you know mm -hmm. and uh that is anatomically correct as well you know you look at the men in anime and they're like perfectly chiseled individuals like to a level that no human being could basically ever get to <laughs> maybe like 0.01 percent of the population could ever look like that the one guy on the commercial uh youtube commercials he's always yeah, like no, the dude like, eating donuts yeah, yeah he's like dude you don't need to eat keto yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah it's like what's the percentage of people yeah. that got your that actually look like you <laughs> and then uh you know the girls as well they're you know their their breasts are humongous like to a cartoonish level and, yep uh, like everything is just exaggerated their eyes are huge yeah there's like, no and it makes it makes um and what's sad is it you know you could see where this plays a part in sexual dysfunction hmm. of people um and what i mean by sexual dysfunction is like when you have something that's that's perfect like that it's very difficult you know sex is not perfect right and and uh you know engaging in sex is not perfect mm. uh you know there's there's things that are happening in cartoons and anime uh into and then all the threads in between it the tears if you will all the way up to hentai yeah. um you know that you know show things and it looks all safe it looks all okay it looks all and, and i don't mean safe in the sense that the narrations are safe like the dialogues are safe in the shows but i'm saying that you know it's not all messy it's not all um you know in real sex you have real people you have real flaws in bodies you have you know pimples you have this you have that you have birthmarks you have this issue you have that issue right. it doesn't look like um and this was the argument that people used to use when it came to pornography right like real pornography like you know we ain't gonna look like that but i think we were wrong yeah i think when we look back on the arguments against real life pornography human being pornography i think what you find is that that's real mm. that is real yeah and those women are real right and those men are real and there's nothing fake about that right. that you know people would say that oh but they put on makeup they've touched up pictures yeah yeah they've done that and there's a reason why they touch up those pictures that were in playboy and things like that it's because of what you just stated is like we love the cleanness we love the fantasy of it all we like the perfection of it we want art to reflect something that's different from what we see yeah. um but when you have it on a when it's distributed on a level that it is today where kids can repetitively right. get this kind of embellishment right you know then you know it would be difficult probably coming to the real yeah. and or that real is going to seem different right and 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 let me say this too this might be an idea that's interesting for a lot of people is that you know, a lot of people are in mari uh, relationships, marriages, or just cohabitating that are very sexless. Right. You know, they don't have much sex in it at all. Right. You know, so um, it's not like their primary purpose for the relationship is sexual intimacy. Right. It is intimacy, but it's on a different level. It's almost like there is a replacement of sexual intimacy in our culture nowadays with 
the the virtual sexual uh, world that we have, and and then it 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 really it really stays there, and then you know which is really interesting too because. Um, you know, it's like it's like we see that growing more and more where people are just like, hey, you know, let's cohabitate. Let's be best buddies. Let's be whatever. You know, like we're we're close. We're everything like that. We hug. We kiss. But we really don't. It's not not very sexual. Right. You know, um, we don't want to have kids, blah, 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 blah. And, and they're OK with having a more virtual sexual world, yeah. you know, and that. Like what you're talking about, I think is very key and something that maybe this this author is missing a little bit. Whereas, and, and many Christians miss this as well, is pornography the problem, or is pornography a part of a much bigger problem? And that would be the disassociation from reality in general, right? So maybe what we're talking about of the struggles that young people are having with reality, this facet of pornography is just one part of it you know so it's like yes i can have a sexual existence that's apart from my body in pornography that's one of the benefits of it it makes it safer and that's why a lot of younger people are choosing it but i could also choose to have experiences outside of my body in every other facet you know i could i could go cook something or i could watch a cooking show I could go fix something or I could watch like a home improvement show. I could go, you know, like there, there are things I could, I could go uh, seek to be successful in my career or I could just watch, you know, Undercover Boss or, you know, The Apprentice or something like that or Shark Tank. You know, I could, I could actually live vicariously through somebody else. And, and Lewis, C.S. Lewis has that really famous line from uh, Mere Christianity where he didn't really see, and this is one of the rare times where C.S. Lewis didn't see the future depravity of what was going on, and he was talking about porn, and at the time he was just talking about what he understood to be porn, which would be strip clubs. And he said, if you went into a society and you saw someone like uh, seductively taking a handkerchief off a T-bone steak, and everyone's just like losing their minds and like yeah you know the t-bone you'd be like you would think that something had gone wrong with their appetite he's like and yet if i could uh slowly undress a woman and nobody's actually having sex with her and people are like cheering and and giving her money for it uh we don't think that there's something wrong with our sexual appetite so again he he and all these other philosophers in his day they didn't perceive a time in which people would choose vicarious pleasure where it's simply through voyeurism, simply through watching, and that pleasure is sufficient enough to make me not want to engage in reality. Um, and that's kind of a radical thing. Yeah. Where uh, this one author, Carl Truman, he wrote uh, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, and he makes a really funny statement, and it's really hard to tell if he's just, be he's a British guy, so mm -hmm. it's like, is he being sarcastic or is he being <laughs> serious? It's really hard to tell. Yeah. But he says at one point he's like i would rather someone buy a prostitute than view pornography because he's like at least when you have sex with a prostitute it's in your body mm -hmm. you know you're paying her money you know like you're you're at least you may have to say something to her at a certain point you know like yeah there's there's some sort of an interaction happening where where pornography is so outside of your body it's so disconnected from reality mm -hmm. that uh even if it's real you know in the sense that you're watching real people it's still so disconnected from your reality, 
you know, that it uh, is, is damaging to you. So yeah, I think that's really interesting. And, and again, the more disconnected from reality I become, why wouldn't I feel disconnected from my body? And if I'm disconnected from my body, why wouldn't I feel disconnected from my gender? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a weird, um, um, just world that we're in at this moment with the technology, because we don't know where it, it will go. Right. Um, you know, what is the next step? Um, and, uh, you know, is it, is it something where, you know, we will, we will choose that fantasy world, um, as the technology gives us more options in it. And, um, and will that be an accepted kind of lifestyle? You know, is that just, and that's what we're, I think, battling right now is, is the fantasy way, the better way. And, and the difficult thing is like humans, we like to say, oh, well, you know, fantasy porns, you know, uh, like, you know, porn's a fantasy, blah, 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 and has its ramifications. But as you've put up, as you talked about, we're living vicariously in many different ways through, through, uh, people. Right. And the, you know, that's what the media has done. Mm -hmm. And instead of us dialoguing with people, uh, about political issues, we just want to hear people oh. bag about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we just want to hear people rag on each other. Right. And we would rather watch people argue right. on, you know, a late night talk show or right. something. You know, I was thinking of uh, Bill, um, is it Mayer or Meyer? Yeah. Mar, Bill Maher. Yeah. You know, like watching a show like that, you watch people argue and right. people go, oh, okay. But instead of you engaging, right in a talk right. or instead of you reading a book yeah. you just kind of know someone who read the book right. and you listen to something on youtube of yeah. someone who's just breaking down what they learned about the book mm-hmm. you know and so we're all constantly kind of doing those things it seems like right. um in our society right. um where will it go who knows you know but it seems like we're at a uh, like the education has already infiltrated our life right. so much so where a part of us ha- has like a, a an old remnant of what was and it feels a little awkward to what is mm. you know um, and what is is most kids by the time that they're 15 to 20 years old have already seen a vast amount of images and fantasy images Mm -hmm. and pictures of male looking people with boobs and, and, and then women with boobs that have penises and, and they've seen them in, um, very, very polished and artistic renderings. And so, um, it's something that is already in lodged in the mind, Mm. you know? So it's, 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 it's not like you say, it's not so hard to bring a philosophy of detachment from biology to mental, um, uh, you know, your, your mental capability, mm. you know, a detachment from those things and go, Hey, well, my body can be altered, mm. you know, to fix what I think in my brain yeah. at this time. Yeah. And, um, you know, what we find is, of course, a lot of people don't ever achieve that artistic rendering that they have in their brain because mm. your brain tends to 
you know, it te- it's funny how our brains are. It's like, like when you think back, like you see a sunset some, at some point when you were, you know, 15 years old, 16 years old, whatever. And, and it was really cool. You were at the beach, something <laughs> like that. When you get older and you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, and you think back on that, everything's embellished. It's amazing. Right. Your brain doesn't see it less than less impactful than it was because your brain as it re- sees it it sees it more impactful right and so it's like that's why people with trauma like when they when they keep having that reliving that moment as they get older and older it becomes even more embellished sometimes right. you know in their mind right they go whoa it, it even becomes harder hardcore you know, our brains tend to do that with sunsets. We go, man, uh, man, I did remember that sun. That sunset was amazing. And, <laughs> and our, you know, and, and if we were to go back there, hmm. it probably would be less than <laughs> not as good. Yeah, just yeah. less than what it, what we're thinking in our brain. And I like I was you know? I was uh, listening to a talk on um, the rituals that God gives the people of Israel, uh-huh. and they pointed out that in the Book of Numbers, this this embellishment that you're talking about was starting to happen in the nation of Israel, where they were starting to embellish their time in slavery. And they were like, wow, that was awesome. (laughs) We ate figs. We ate figs and leeks, dude. (laughs) That was so good. Like they're, they're already embellishing the past to the point where it doesn't even resemble what reality was. And this commentator said that, and I thought it was a really good point, one of the reasons why God gave ritual to his people is so that they weren't embellishing the past. They were remembering it as it was um, in specificity. That's that's awesome. So it's like an engaging of the body, right? To like, if you watch Jewish people celebrate like the Feast of Tabernacles, which is to commemorate the wilderness wandering, uh, they actually got to build like a tent. You know, like they yeah. Gotta, and they got to live in it for a week. Yeah. And it's not just a tent, like. It's a tent made out of slats, so they, they yeah. you can't have a hard roof. It's only one, I think, entrance to right. it, and it only has one entrance, and and so there for one exit, and so it's like you're you're living in this house that you know the elements are beating down on you, and it's to it's to actually like engage in a way in what was experienced by your ancestors, so you remember, right? And I, I really like that, and they even made the argument that sacrifice was designed for the same purpose that when you're killing the cow when you're killing the sheep you're acting out the destructive nature of your sin so that you can't embellish it in your head like it detracts from your ability to embellish your sin as being like to romanticize it and think of it as something that was more beautiful than it was Mm. Um, and i I really like that idea And, and they said that one of the weaknesses of christianity is because we are a religion based on faith people seem to think that acted out religion is kind of old-fashioned and we don't do it anymore so it's just like well it's what you think in your head well what you're pointing out is well what you think in your head may not be reality <laughs> you know like it may right. just because you think it and just because you remember it doesn't mean it actually happened the way that you're remembering it yeah most of us you know as you get older you embellish your past with your parents like how many young people go man my 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 youth was so rough yeah like how many young people say that yeah like my family life was so hardcore yeah. and you're like, really, yeah. you know? And they're like, oh yeah, I remember it was so tough. And, and you go and you look into their past and it's like, it's pretty happy. It yeah. was pretty good. Yeah. You know, it was pretty good. 
Um, and I've seen that in my own life too. As I've gotten older, I've been able to look back on the past and, and say, man, I think I've embellished th- some things mm. and have had to like look at that a little harder and go, maybe my brain is just, you know, I was impacted by something right. and it just kind of creates this fantasy, right. you know, world. And how many young people that are going through sexual transition, you know, um, are just thinking of a fantasy, mm. you know, of thinking of, yeah, this is going to be it. And this is what I'm going to be like. And this is what I'm going to look like. And mm. it's going to be amazing. Yeah. You know, when it, in the reality is it's not going to be that amazing. Right. It's going to be painful. And that was kind of another thing that, uh, I noticed when I was a kid. So, uh, they developed kind of Blu-ray and IMAX technology yep. when I was a teenager and everyone was so psyched about it. They're like, whoa, like there's like a billion pixels and you know, like it's going to look just like you're staring at someone in the face across the, across the table from you. It's going to be amazing. And so I, I remember I bought a couple of like DVDs that I had or VHSs actually at the time I had like some VHSs of some old movies like Independence Day and stuff and I got them on Blu-ray and you know you got your HD TV yeah. you slip it in you're like wow these graphics suck <laughs> like you're like dude this is terrible you know because like when you're watching on your janky VHS player on your tubed TV that's 26 inches all the defects in it don't stand out like they don't they're not as obvious or apparent and so you could just kind of enjoy it for what it is. But when you got it on a 50-inch plasma with all these pixels, you could see all the flaws in the filmmaking process, and it's no longer good. And the point is, is that, like, no reality. The reason why humans are in such droves moving away from reality is because no reality can live up to your imagination that you're embellishing. And so it's easier for you to go into your imagination because it feels more correct to what you perceive as reality. But the cool thing about the Christian life, right, about God is that what God tells people over and over again is he's like, the reason why you can't see me is because I'm so glorious that actually the more clearly you see me, the less capacity you have to take me in. In other words, God is the only being in the universe that he not the the most that you embellish god he's greater than that right you know like the the thing about the greatest thing in the universe god's greater than that like your imagination can't even perceive how great god is like you don't even have the capacity so for christians and this is what jared tolkien he he talks a lot about it and again in his essay on fairy stories he says Mm. he calls it an arresting strangeness Mm. where he's like so he's utilizing these these mythologies and stuff to talk, and so let's take one element from Tolkien's universe, the elves, right? And elves are like these perfect creatures, you know, like everything they make is amazing and they're, you know, immortal essentially and they're beautiful and everything about them is great. And he said like the arresting strangeness makes you kind of pause and think about like ideals. But if you think about the Tolkien universe, the elves can still become corrupted and they can still die. You know, there's still, there's still faults within him. And his point was like, the reason why I'm using this, this methodology is because, again, the gospel's even greater, right? So the myth that I'm using is to call to attention that there's a greater thing than Middle Earth. So if someone's like, man, I would love to live in the, the universe of Middle Earth, you'd say, no, I, I, you want to live in heaven. 
Like you want the grit, you want where this is actually pointing real. to, yeah. It, not just in your imagination, but somewhere you <laughs> could actually live, somewhere you could actually be, and it is real, right? The gospel is myth made real. That's what he says at the end. Yeah, he says it's a true myth. So you know, the life and death of Jesus is like the greatest myth ever told because it was real. It really happened, and he really rose from the dead, and there really is a promise of an afterlife, and there really is a pleasure that even the greatest sex you ever going to experience, the greatest sexual experience you have, is nothing compared to the pleasures that are in store for those who are in God. Yeah, and it's really, it's really interesting. Even at the end of the book of uh, uh, the Bible, in the book of Revelation, um, you see that there's no more need, it says, for the sun and, and right. the constellations and stuff like that, which is really interesting because it says, you know, God is there, right. you know, and, and, and God is this center of he is he is you're just, it's like everybody's just taking in god right. and it's interesting because over you know human history is fascinated with constellations mm-hmm. um, um we are fascinated with the mythology of of them and yeah. um and uh even modern enlightened people are that, all into horoscopes <laughs> that's right but the culture i mean our culture is just enraptured yeah. by the vastness of the universe right and, uh, but, uh, 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 but the point being is that God is even exceeding all of that glory right. and that he is the one that you can, you're going to be able to gaze upon at one point and just be blown away, blown away, blown away, blown away, blown away, and just continually blown away. You'll never be let down, which it, it, it's, um, you know, it's almost like we've had an experiment, uh, a, a media experiment, uh, a visual media experience uh, since TV took place, mm-hmm. you know, back in the, uh, what, 40s mm-hmm. um, and uh, in the 1940s. And here we have, you know, we're getting, you know, close to that 100-year mark of video media. Right. And, and now, you know, it's it's interesting it's like we do we would rather consume you know movie upon movie and series upon series than to live in a real world it's much easier to put on a show and watch families have issues and see how they deal with the issues and and live in that, uh, live in their world, you know, and not really do much in your world. Um, we definitely have, if you will, we've in a sense, um, maybe failed the test where, uh, you know, uh, you know, we've moved away from the real and we've, we've chosen fantasy far over reality. Um, our reality is, in a sense, just to be able to preserve the ability to fantasize, right. you know, and that might be what us humans are doing. And maybe the biblical, the proof of the Bible is that it, it's showing that um, there is something more in us. We, we constantly are craving the greater. Right. We're, we're craving the fantasy, right. you know, the, the ideal and why is that? Why can't we? Why can't we just? You know, it's weird that we can't just shut it off. Right. Like we can't just be like, oh yeah, no, no, not into it. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, <laughs> like, you know, no movies, no nothing. You know, why can't we just live? Right. And that's that's an interesting question nowadays. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know. And, you know, and, and if this reality is all we have, which is the contention of most, like, atheistic people, then they should be adamantly against this because right. like nobody's living in reality like this is all you got you know like yeah. why why wouldn't we want to preserve reality for the for the christian the interesting point that we could make is is again the reason why you crave the fantasy is because there is something beyond this world to which your fantasies point mm. but if you're you know uh, again what tolkien meant by arresting strangeness is it just it should arrest you for a second like it should capture your attention for a second and then you go back into reality with it. Yeah. Like if it's if it's like taking your life over, then like something something negative is happening. It's no longer an arresting strangeness. It's it's a I think he called it a static strangeness where you're stuck in the in the fantasy world and you can't come out anymore. Yeah. And that's that's like a negative. And maybe quality. and maybe that's where we're at. And maybe that's what we're seeing in the in the trends of transgender right. culture. Is that you know we we uh, have become stuck in fantasy, right. um, you know, and, um, and 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 we're okay with it, right. you know, um, you know. There's there's nothing that's moving us more away from it. Right. Instead, we're we're wanting to embrace it and keep going in that direction. And I think that like it also lends to um, dark parodies of the truth. So it's like what we can attain within our imagination. You know, you and I were talking about Pascal before we started the show. And, you know, Pascal, he points out the, the nature of the hiddenness of God mm -hmm. and how people complain about the hiddenness of God. Like, well, the, the hiddenness of God proves that there is no God. And he says, well, couldn't it prove that you're just corrupt? <laughs> that, yeah. like, that maybe there is a God and he is actually good yeah. and that he couldn't dwell with humanity. So he's like, so it either proves that god isn't real or proves that we are corrupt and god is real right um and he's like what do you observe do you observe good humanity in which there is no god and need for a creator or do you uh do you observe corrupt humanity and a need for a creator but a simple hiddenness from him and yeah he argues that it's the it's the latter but the point of that is like if we are corrupt then our imaginations are corrupt and so if we even if we try to think up to the greatest ideal we're going to corrupt it at a certain level. Right. And we're going to make it something that it isn't. And so, um, you know, I, I think about like in hentai, there is constant, uh, I wouldn't call it like bestiality mm -hmm. because it's not really bestiality in the way that most people would think. It's a, it's a taking of entities that aren't human for sure, right? They're not human entities. They're demons and monsters and things like that. But they're of human intelligence, right? They're, they're hyper-intelligent beings. And they're having sexual relations with women, right? Um, and a lot of these interactions are forced, right? They're, uh, they're rape and things like that. And it's portrayed in, in sensual terms. You're right. And uh, it reminds me, you know, when I think about it, it does remind me so much of Paradise Lost. And in Paradise Lost, there's an interesting instance, right? So there's this really old book about, uh, it's kind of an embellishment of the fall of Satan. And Satan comes into the world and he's a spiritual being and he wants to kind of interact with the world. He wants to like become some, a part of the world so that he can corrupt mankind. And so he 
he actually like moves into the body of a snake. So the way that Milton saw it is not that Satan took the form of a snake, but he actually like kind of put himself into a snake, like he possessed a snake. And there's this really like creepy part of the book, it's like a horror movie kind of deal where he's possessing the snake and he's describing it in this really grotesque imagery and really grotesque like kind of language of him entering into the body and feeling like the cavities of the snake and the serpent and it, it's corrupting him and it's making him different. And it's really like, uh, like I said, a very gross like sci-fi kind of scene that he has. And the reason why I point that out is because what do you see? You see a type of the incarnation, but a corrupted version of it, right? A type of a spiritual being becoming a part of reality. But instead of God, who doesn't just want to possess the world, God wants to actually become a human. He enters in in a correct way. He doesn't inhabit someone's body. He has a body that is born in a natural sense and he becomes a part of mankind. Instead of, uh, you know, and, and the point of like uh, a man wanting to become a woman, instead of a man seeing like, I could be connected to the feminine through marriage and through joining myself to the woman by becoming one body with her in the act of intimacy and through procreation in which we're able to make a child in our image and likeness that bears both, both of our aspects within them. You know, instead of seeing that, it's like this, I could just incorporate femininity into me, right? I could just bring it into me forcibly and change my body. Uh, or with the hentai, instead of, you know, Tolkien's point of like us wanting to be joined to nature in some cosmic sense of, of wanting to actually be a part of nature in the way that God intended. And this is what Tolkien said, why we're so obsessed with like water nymphs and wood elves and things like that in our imaginations mm. is because we want to be a part of nature and we recognize ourselves as being apart from nature. And it's because of the fall. We're, we're, not, we're no longer harmonious with nature and that's what technology represents is us pulling away from nature more and more and being in our gated communities and our houses with our air conditioning. You know, like we're, we're becoming less and less a part of nature because we find nature to be oppressive to us. And so in hentai, you have these weird instances in which nature is kind of going into women. It's, it's, it, it's specifically attacking the feminine, which I think is very interesting. Yeah. It's, demons are doing that. Yeah, like branches and trees and come alive and they become monsters and, you know, that kind of thing. Exactly. And it's, like I said, it's, so it's... <laughs> You see what in the human imagination would want that, right? There is a goodness there, but it's a perverted goodness. It's something that's corrupted yeah. because that's what the imagination of man does. It corrupts the good. Yeah, it's interesting some of these quotes. It says uh, this is on, on this article that we've been kind of uh, um, honing in on, but it says this is a quote. I started watching trans porn initially five or so years ago, and I remember I had post-orgasm regret. Back then, I imagined myself as the guy. About a year and a half ago, I started to imagine the possibility of being the girl in these scenarios. I wanted to be forced to have intimacy by a man because I was turned on by the submissiveness of it, you know. And um, and it's kind of interesting, this idea of um, that uh, they point out, and that is um, they talk about, you know, gender dysphoria being something that is... Um, is almost like a learned gender dysphoria. Right. That when people, like this quote that I just read, you know, 
you know, you, you imagine yourself, you know, you kind of put yourself in because now you have a media where you, you, you know, you see these, you know, futinaries, you see these different people or, you know, even if they're cartoons or now, now, even if you kind of see they're uh, like a real person mm-hmm. who's gone, uh, went through uh, sex transition right. surgeries and that kind of thing. And even in the quote, it's like, you, you see, Again, the corruption, this is in the BDSM community. And I've, I've spoken with certain individuals that are coming out of that community. And, and that's the interesting thing about it is the perspective that people carry within this community. And it's not like this malicious, evil thing. Yeah. But you could tell it's a perversion. It's a corruption of what we would call biblical submission. So in the heart of man, we know that submission is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. We understand it. But in the S&M community, what they've done is they've taken submissiveness and they've fetishized it. Yeah. And it's becoming like, I want to be forced to do this thing against my will. Yeah. And that's not submission. Like biblical submission is a surrender to a willful surrender to what you desire, right? To to God in mm-hmm. love, right? And so yep. there's a surrender that happens in love all the time, whether it's a surrender to your kids or a surrender to your spouse. Um, or even your family or your friends where you're willingly giving of yourself to others. But the idea of being forced to do something is a perversion of that willful surrender. Yeah. It's a neat quote, this person talking about their their kind of fetishes and stuff like that. You really get an insight into stuff. It says, recently I've really started questioning everything. You know, I love the attention and consequently feeling like the woman. This has led me to some gender dysphoria as I would love to be the woman and see where that would take me in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, isn't, isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's like through watching, you know, a, a, a media, mm-hmm. you know, um, and through, you know, their own fantasy about it and their own feelings, mm-hmm. you know, of arousal and um, things like that then they start kind of questioning things like, huh, I wonder what it would be like to be a woman, right. you know, man, to, to have that happen. Well, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I should be a woman, right? you know? And so, and I like how this author does portray this. In, and a lot of women have made this point in the last couple of years about the transgender movement is mm-hmm. even though we're saying as a culture, well, you know, like there's nothing. And, I could tell why a lot of feminists would be upset about this, by the way, because the whole pull of feminism is that there's nothing inherently feminine, right? There's nothing inherently feminine. And to say that there are things that are inherently feminine degrades women because you're basically drawing lines and saying a woman can't be these things. So to say like, well, it's masculine to be bold or to be brave or to be assertive or to be a leader, the inference that can happen and has happened throughout human history is women can't be those things, right? To be a woman means that you cannot be these things. Or to say that femininity is being nurturing or compassionate is to say to men, well, you can't be or shouldn't be nurturing, compassionate or emotional because that makes you less than masculine. And so there's some perversion as well in the feminist ideology, but the main thing that she's pointing out is this is a caricature of womanhood. So when these guys are watching this pornography that's showing for submission, the idea that they're gathering is what does it mean to be a woman? 
Well, what it means to be a woman is someone who is a forced in a position of forced submission. Right. And that's what she's arguing against is that misogynistic, you know, like, why are you putting this on a woman? Right. <laughs> like necessarily. Why do you have to be feminine to be forced into submission? Yeah. It's just interesting that it's it's moving people. You know, maybe maybe 30 years ago, this kind of stuff, because it's always kind of feel like it's been there, you know, through cross-dressing. We've talked about that. And, right. You know, um, um, but maybe because technology wasn't there yet, people couldn't have this dysphoria right. of like, maybe I want to be the woman, mm. you know, that's depicted in the show that I'm watching. Right. And instead of questioning the show, she's saying you should question the show and go, well, how is it depicting a woman? Right. And is that right? Right. You know, is that wrong? They're just assuming like, oh, well, that's the woman's role in this show. Yeah. And maybe I can, maybe there's something to that. Right. And there's something I like about that. Right. Um, you know, and so it, it's interesting, um, you know, feminists are in a real bind, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> nowadays, oh, you right. know, with uh, the transgender movement and, um, uh, and, uh, in a sense, um, you know, their their uh, attacks on pornography haven't haven't really gone very far um, over the years. Um, you know, back in the '70s, feminists, you know, were really, you know, strongly against pornography. Right. And uh, and then you had a lot of feminists that were very became very pro porn right. and sexual liberation. Um, and, and now you can see they're in a real quandary, um, over, over this, because now you have people that are in this kind of gender dysphoria, uh, you know, mental state, you know, watching porn and in a sense, stereotyping right. women. Right. And... Um, which the feminists obviously don't want that to be the case, um, you know, but uh, that that's kind of what's happened, um, you know. And even, you know, like uh, I think about guys like Dylan Mulvaney, mm -hmm. who's really popular right now. He did his, you know, 365 days of girlhood. So it was a guy who transitioned to be a, a girl, and now he's getting all these, Deals like from Anheuser Busch and now from oh, yeah. like uh, you know very like Nike had him do a sports bra tampon, uh, Tampax has a sponsorship with him and I think he just got a makeup brand I think it was Mac or something like that, uh, Maybelline it was Maybelline, and so, but when you look at him, and what he's doing, it's so clearly a caricature of a woman you know it's so clearly <laughs> like uh, like a, like the most stereotypical woman you could think of that's what he's doing and I, I shown some of the the days of girlhood to my wife and I think they're kind of funny just because how over the top they are uh, when you remember it's real it becomes less funny yeah. but for her she just gets she laughs but she's also like really offended like I can tell she gets really offended because she's like that's how this dude sees women and yeah it's like this this on his first day of womanhood quote-unquote 
he released a 30 second video and it was essentially like, well, you know, it's my first day of being a woman and I bought some clothes I didn't need and then I changed my mind about it and I cried for 20 minutes for no reason and then like I ate some ice cream and regretted it. Wow. How did I do? You know? <laughs> it's like, yeah. That's his vision of womanhood. Yeah, and it's just, it's it goes against everything that feminists have really been against. So anyway, we're going to end this podcast right now on that note and uh, just uh, the wonderful contradictions that are in our world. But uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Take care. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36, 8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.